All right, here we go. All right, we observe the liturgies and rituals of both Judaism and Christianity to put into proper relationship these two great faiths and to understand in greater depth the Holy Scriptures. And we're presently in that season that began with uh, Thanksgiving and Advent, and then we're in Christmas and Hanukkah, uh, ending today, moving towards Epiphany uh, this Thursday. Uh, a time that focuses really on the Incarnation in, uh, in the Christian framework and on the preservation of God's people uh, in the context of Hanukkah. Uh, Hanukkah then is a celebration of God's preserving Israel and the rededication of the temple, the cleansing of the temple with the, the, at least the legend of the miracle of the menorah. The themes of Hanukkah are significant to the celebration of Christmas as well. So we saw in our readings today that Jesus at Hanukkah, at the time of dedication, was in Jerusalem and acknowledged that he was the one who was sanctified and sent into the world, which is the theme of Christmas, uh, by the Father. Early in church history, Hanukkah, the day of Hanukkah, was identified as the time of Jesus' birth. About 125, it's, there's a writing, so it's at least before that. So perhaps even into the uh, latter part of the first century. Um, and the eight days of Hanukkah then were part of the understanding of this early Christmas celebration. Hanukkah has eight days and today is the eighth day. And it was that connection that began to uh, be understood by the church fathers and the people putting the lectionary together. In the context of that, uh, this year, because uh, Kislev and December started at the same time, and we went through that together, Christmas and Hanukkah began in the eve at the same time. And the eight days of Hanukkah are the first eight days of Christmas. And that helps us to understand these connections uh, even in, in a greater manner. So, today is in the Western Church the celebration of the Holy Name. And in the Eastern Church it's called the circumcision of our Lord. Uh, this day of circumcision and naming of Jesus is well understood by this congregation because we do the naming ceremonies for our children. We do the dedication. You know that naming in the home and then the dedication at the congregation following the biblical text. So it's easier for you to see this for a lot than for a lot of Christians to see the connections. But I want to draw that background for you so that you'll understand. So go turn with me to Genesis chapter 17 verse 10. In Genesis chapter 17, verse 10, God says to Abraham, This is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your descendants after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall circumcise the flesh of your foreskin. It shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. Every male among you who is eight days old shall be circumcised throughout your generations. A servant who is born in your house or bought with money uh, who is not of your descendants, uh, a servant born in your house or who is brought, bought by money shall be circumcised. 
and this covenant uh, shall be in your flesh for an everlasting covenant. But an uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh, that person shall be cut off from my people. He has broken my covenant. So this Abrahamic covenant, it's not the Mosaic covenant, the Abrahamic covenant is why Jews to this day circumcise their sons on the eighth day uh, as uh, commanded to, to Abraham. Now, over time, uh, this uh, would include more under the Mosaic covenant, more than just circumcision, but the connection of circumcision with dedication. So in the book of Leviticus... Chapter 12. <coughs> Excuse me. I took meds and still isn't working. <laughs> uh, we read these words in the first verse. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, and this is again the Mosaic covenant, not the Abrahamic. Speak to the sons of Israel saying, when a woman gives birth and bears a male, she shall be unclean for seven days. Uh, and then on the eighth day, the flesh of, her, of his foreskin shall be circumcised. She shall remain in the blood of her purification for 33 days. She shall not touch any consecrated thing, nor enter the sanctuary until the days of her purification are completed. Uh, she would then enter into the uh, uh, temple and dedicate the child. If she bears a female, she shall be unclean for two weeks. Uh, then uh, remain in her purification uh, for uh, 66 days. When the days of those purifications are done for a son or a daughter, she shall come to the priest at the doorway of the tent of meeting with a lamb uh, for a burnt offering, a young pigeon for, or a turtle dove for a sin offering. Uh, he shall make atonement for her and shall, she shall be cleansed from the flow of her blood. This is a law for her who bears a child, male or female. She cannot afford a lamb. She shall take two turtle doves or two young pigeons, the one for a burnt offering, the other for a sin offering. The priest shall make atonement for her and she will be clean. We saw in the scriptures that Mary brought two turtle doves, indicating they didn't have the money for a lamb. Okay? The people at Prosperity Gospel people try to say that Jesus was born into a wealthy family. Then they violated the scriptures by doing this. Okay? So keep that in mind. Now, I want you then to turn to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, verse 57. This is the birth of John the Baptist. It says, When the time had come for Elizabeth to give birth, and she gave birth to a son... Her neighbors and her relatives heard that the Lord had displayed His great mercy towards them, and, and they were rejoicing. And it happened that on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child. They were, they were going to call him Zacharias, after the father, right? He's, they're going to call him Zacharias. But the mother answered and said, No, indeed, he shall be called John. And they said, There's no one among your relatives who is called by that name. And they made signs to his father. Remember, he was unable to speak, didn't believe the angel, as to what they wanted him called. And he asked for a tablet. It wasn't an iPad. It's just a slate 
that they could write on. Um, and he wrote as follows, his name is John, and they were all astonished. And at once his mouth was open, he began to praise God. And we have Zechariah's statement about his son. So it's the eighth day, John is circumcised and named. So the tradition is, the circumcision and the naming is on that, that day. Now we turn to Luke chapter 2, verses 21 and following. This is Jesus. It says, Jesus, when eight days had passed before his circumcision, his name was then called Jesus. Notice the focus here is not on the circumcision, though he was circumcised, but on the naming. Okay? Uh, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. When the days for her purification, according to the law of Moses, were complete, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. And then we get the reading that we just had, where he is, the redemption of the firstborn is taken care of. Mary is uh, goes through her re-entering into a state of holiness to present herself before the Lord. The child is also presented before the Lord. In the Eastern Church, to this day, there are prayers that a woman says after giving birth on her way to the sanctuary after a 40-day hiatus. And so even in the Eastern Church, this is traditionally uh, practiced in that sense. So, I want you to notice that Jesus is named and dedicated, or named at his circumcision, and then dedicated at the temple based on these commandments. This is why the church then established the eighth day after Christmas as Circumcision Sunday or Holy Name Sunday, which is the name of this. But they didn't attach it to a, uh, a Sunday. They attached it to the eighth day after Christmas, which is always January 1st. Okay? So that's why if you look in the lectionary, you'll see Holy Name it's not Holy Name Sunday, it's Holy Name, because it's that circumcision uh, day. Now, this is important. His name is Jesus. Names are given by the parents. They assumed Zacharias would name his son after him. Uh, but in this case, and throughout the scriptures, we find the names given by the parents. In this case... The name is given to the parents. They are not selecting the name of Jesus. The, they are told his name is to be called Jesus. So in Luke 2.31, if you look at that passage... Oh, that's not it. <laughs> uh, 131. Is it 131? 131. Yeah, 131. Sorry, Luke 131. The angel uh, said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. Okay? And then in Matthew chapter 1, Verses 20 and 21. When he was considering this, this is Joseph, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She shall bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, 
for he shall save his people from their sins. And then in Luke chapter 2 verse 21, it says at his circumcision, his name was called Jesus, the name given by the angel. I don't know if you ever noticed that before. But the idea is, his name is given not by his father on earth and not by his mother on earth, but by his father in heaven sent through the mediation of an angel. His name is given uh, by God, his father himself. So, this name is significant. The name Jesus which is the English of the Greek word, Jesus, which is the Greek understanding of the Hebrew word Yeshua, is a word that literally means salvation. You shall name him Yeshua, for he shall save his people from their sins. More accurately, the word means the Lord saves. Uh, the name begins with the divine name, with that yes sound. Uh, uh, in the English form, this is Yahshua, Joshua, um, where the, you get more of an ah sound. But the way Hebrew is written and the general pronunciation is Yeshua. Yeshua, the Lord saves. Now we see these, the Lord's name in number of things. The word hallelujah is praise the Lord. It's really talking about, it doesn't say kurios or Adonai. It has this yah sound uh, in that context. So, this name is a important name and we need to see that it's identified with the name of God himself. So turn with me to Exodus chapter 3. In Exodus chapter 3, verse 13, we have Moses here at the burning bush. God says, I am going, uh, behold, I am going to the sons of Israel uh, and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. Now they may say to me, What is his name? Uh, what shall I say to them? God's asking him, what's, what's your name? And God says to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am has sent me to you. And in most of your Bibles, um, this is all in caps. Okay. So what is God saying? Well, theologians uh, discuss this name. The name given here is uh, four Hebrew consonants. Yud, He, Vav, and He. Uh, translated Lord in our Bibles, usually using uh, a small caps uh, on, on that. And referred to in Judaism as Hashem, the name. So, they won't pronounce the name. We don't really know fully how the name is pronounced. But this name has been discussed in theology, trying to get to the correct pronunciation and to the best explanation. 
the idea is of God being. This is a repetition of the word to be. Uh, sometimes translated, I am who I am, I am who I will be, I am who I was. It's that kind of, of thing. And people get really caught up in trying to figure out uh, how that name has. I think that's all well and good. But words have meaning as well as usage. And it is the way a word is used that often has a lot to do with what it really means. And God's name uh, is identified in various ways in the scriptures. So I want to give you a sense of what I think this is. This name more likely has a sense of God is with someone. Because he immediately says, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And he uses that same phrase. Jesus refers to himself using this name. Uh, and there is a sense in which this is about God being with, uh, with them. Uh, often we see in the scriptures this statement about God saying, I will be with you, I will be with you, I will be with you, I will not leave you nor forsake you. So in a sense, this name that is not pronounced, some people, they, in Old English they used to say Jehovah, and some people use the word Yahweh, whatever the pronunciation of it is, it is, this is the one who is with you. I am with you. And so, the name Yeshua is basically God saying, the one who is with you will save you. Now this is interesting, because uh, Matthew 1, 21 to 25, and I want you to look there. I keep bringing you back to these texts, because I want you to look at them with uh, fresh eyes. Matthew 1, verse 21. You sh she shall bear a son, you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. I am the one who saves, is literally, I who am with you, saves, is literally his name. Matthew goes on to say, now all this took place. To fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Behold the virgin shall be with child. And shall bear a son. And they shall call his name Emmanuel. This is not the divine name. It's the word for God. Elohim at the end. Emmanuel. The God with us. Now why doesn't Matthew say. There's a prophecy that his name is Jesus. It's because his name, Jesus, is Emmanuel, God, who is with us, will save. He will save his people from their sins. And so he says that Joseph awoke from his sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, took Mary as his wife, but kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. It keeps saying it over and over to get you to see that this name, Jesus, is salvation. This one who is with us, God with us, is our salvation. 
uh, and that's a significant notion. Now, his name, therefore, is a name that is highly exalted. And, it, and we know this passage, but I want you to look at it again in Philippians chapter 2, 9 through 11. In the incarnation, this one who was with the Father in the beginning, who had the glory with the Father in the beginning, in some sense humbled and emptied himself in order to take on flesh and become one of us for the purpose of bringing about our salvation. And so Paul talks about this humiliation, if you will, this what theologians call kenosis, this emptying himself to become fully dependent on his Father as we have to be. So he is showing us how that's done in this passage. Paul says, verse 3, Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. Which is exactly what Jesus did. Do not look on your own interests, but on the interests of others. Have the attitude which was in Christ Jesus. Although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped or to be uh, maintained or demonstrated. Hey, you know who I am kind of thing. But he emptied himself, there's that word kenosis, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of man. He came to serve, not to be served. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Father, not my will, but thine be done. And for this reason, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name. Well, what is the name that is above every name? God who is with you saves, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue will confess that Jesus, Messiah, is Adonai, or is this divine name, to the glory of God the Father. That's incredible stuff. And therefore, it's clear why Peter makes a statement that he makes in Acts chapter 4. In Acts chapter 4, when they have healed a man at the temple. And they're saying, what is going on here? And he says that this guy is healed because of Jesus who God raised from the dead. And so he says in verse 12, And there is salvation in no other For there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. This is not a light thing, this name of Jesus. Now the danger here is to think that the name Jesus is magical. There are people who will only refer to Jesus as Yahshua. They're called the divine name people. You got to get the name right. Okay. Now, Paul refers to Jesus in Greek under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit as Jesus all through his writings. So, it's not biblically correct that you must pronounce his name 
in the Hebrew and with the vowel that these people say it should be. His name in English is Jesus. And it's not about magic (coughs) in the name. It's not a talisman. Though healings have happened in response to his name. It is not a good luck charm. Though the blessings of God come through this one we call Jesus. The name itself is a statement. It is a certainty. It is a comfort. The one who is the great I am. Is with Israel. And is with us. And that's the message behind Romans chapter 8. So we have to go there to close this out. In Romans 8, verse 31. And those of you who were from Westminster remember this is how I ended almost every sermon uh, for many years, this passage. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, if God is with us, which is what His name is, I am the one who is with you. I will be with you. He said to Israel, I'll go in front of you. I'll come behind you. I'll be all around you. The Lord inhabits the praises of His people. The one who is for you. The one who is with you. Who can be against you? He who did not spare His own Son, but delivered Him over for us all. How will He not also with Him freely give us all things? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. So who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is He who died. Yes, rather who was raised. Who is at the right hand of the Father. Who intercedes for us. He just did the death, the burial, the resurrection, the ascension, and the judgment. All found in this Jesus The one who is with you will bring salvation. Who will separate us from the love of Christ. Tribulation? No. Distress? Persecution? Famine? Nakedness? Peril? Or sword? You can name any of those things. But you have to look at verse 36. As it is written. Now, Paul's going to make it clear here. When you come to salvation... These other things don't go away. And many of us know from this last year, they don't go away. But none of them separate us from His love. For your sake we are being put to death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. The glory and the promises and everything that we hope for is not in this world and not in this life. It's in the world to come and the resurrection and the kingdom with the restoration and consolation of Israel that Simeon and Anna were waiting for and we also wait for will take place. So Paul says we're basically sacrificial victims 
were burnt offerings to be used for the glory of God in the struggle of the oppression of this present age in anticipation of the age to come. And he says, verse 37, In all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through Him who loved us. Now, this is not a promise that those things will go away. The end of the movie, everything is great, right? This is a promise that as His process was death, burial, resurrection, glorification, so ours will be death, burial, resurrection, and then sharing in His glory in that context. We are conquerors in that these things will not separate us from His love or what He ultimately is doing in us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. This last week for us was a uh, difficult time. We've had difficult times before. I was reflecting yesterday uh, as I lit the memorial candle for my father. It was my 49th anniversary of my dad's passing. Next year will be 50 years. I can't imagine that. Uh, I thought back of when I was 17 and all that chaos. And the absolute being lost in what it all meant. And the struggle over the years, every year being depressed from Thanksgiving through New Year's uh, that, that I went through for a long time. And then having some years where it's easier and some years where it's harder. And those of you who grieve, you know that you grieve the rest of your life. In the midst of all the chaos and the loss of some very dear people in, in recent times to us. I didn't have those swelling Feelings of chaos. Now I may have them next year. There's no guarantee they won't be there. But they don't matter. They don't matter. Because they can't separate us from the love of God. And therefore, we can... Be strengthened. And the joy of the Lord can be our strength. And we can have peace even in the midst of chaos. And we can have faith that grows in grace and in knowledge. And we can have hope that is steadfast and sure. All the things that we talk about in this time. Even though everything around us is falling apart. Because Paul says... That's what they do. It's kind of like the Geico commercial. Things are falling apart around you. That's what they do. But we're not part of that. Our bodies may be subject to that decay, but they have a hope and a promise of resurrection. So nothing will separate us 
from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. Now, I suspect that 2017 will have good, bad, and ugly days. And if Ecclesiastes is correct, and I think it is, the majority of the days are not good. But God's call to us in this coming year is to put our mind on the one who promised. Trust that he will bring to pass those hope, that hope. Become strong in the Lord and in his might and in the joy of the Lord which is our strength. And to have the peace of God that passes all understanding and go through this year more than an overwhelming conqueror in every bad thing that happens. Because it's the truth whether we experience it or not. But I'm convinced that the more we focus on truth, the more we experience that truth in our lives. So you can steal yourself of the joy of the Lord in this new year by looking at the problems. And there will be plenty of problems. Or you can rise above and pass through the problems by having your mind stayed on Him and your focus on the hope that is set before us. Let's pray.